Well, hello everyone. I am Matt Williamson. How is everyone doing this fine day? Steelers are in a nice spot. I think everyone's week will go a little better after that win, considering the uh, <laughs> no Canada, the way Pickett played, you know, really, really strong game from him and the offense as a whole. Where they stand in the playoff picture, teams like the Bills look like they're dead. The Bengals look like they're dead. Unbelievable. But as I usually do day after, um, I just have a lot of random nuggets. And this was something Dale Lawley wrote that I thought was really interesting. And I'm just going to lead off with that. So Cam Hayward had a sack against the Bengals yesterday, as you know. That's 13 and a half in his career against the Bengals. That's the most by any player in Bengals history. Okay. I mean, it doesn't blow you away, but you don't think of Cam Hayward as the sack master, but he's been playing a long time. He's a great player. Meanwhile, TJ Watt has 17 sacks against the Browns. He only needs two more to pass Terrell Suggs for most sacks against the Browns in their career in far, far fewer games. He's going to get there, folks. James Harrison holds the record for most sacks against the Ravens. He has 16. So a Steeler has the most sacks against every team in the division, you know, in history. And Watt is only two behind Harrison for the Ravens lead. So probably in a year from now, Watt will have the most sacks ever against Ravens and against Browns. And Hayward will have the most against Bengals. Like, it's pretty awesome, and I don't think a coincidence, by the way. So, speaking of pass rush, Pittsburgh Steelers pass rush constantly harassed backup Jake Browning. 34.4% quarterback pressure rate, and you guys are aware of the four sacks. So, they got after him with great consistency. I mean, if you're up at like well over 30, that's a really good day in terms of pressuring the quarterback per dropback. Now, I will say he completed 60% of his passes while pressured and finished top three in yards per passing attempt rate, 8.7 yards on 32 total dropbacks. So he didn't fare too badly. And I didn't think he did watching them live either, but I thought that number was interesting. Sometimes give the opponent a little bit of credit. Like we all had low expectations for Browning. Maybe he wins another game or two for the Bengals this year. He was better than I thought. Maybe he can be Burrow's long-term backup. I mean, I'm not saying he's the next Kurt Warner or, you know, someone, you know, Tom Brady. But I thought that was a decent showing from him, not with high expectations. But his biggest pass came on that screenplay to, to Mixon. That was a 39-yarder. So that wasn't exactly high-level quarterbacking. And a deflect, deflected plat pass that Jamar Chase took for 31 yards. So those were his two biggest plays. They weren't exactly great quarterback throws. Um, he only completed one pass of 10 plus air yards. Not great. You know, not great. So again, I'm not saying the guy's phenomenal, but maybe he's a long-term backup in the division. Who knows? So they didn't run a lot of plays. They didn't run the ball very much. They didn't run the ball successfully. But Cincinnati never ran the ball in this game on third or fourth down. Like, I wonder how many games throughout the season that actually happens. Like, that's not a stat that I'm super aware of all the time. But every third and fourth down, you know, mainly third, they're throwing the ball. You know, it just shows that the Steelers' defense early down success rate didn't have them in third and two, third and one, you know, run pass situations where you could do either. So, speaking of a explosive stuff 
Pittsburgh had six plus plays, had six plays of 20 or more yards in this game. That's phenomenal. I mean, four through the air, two on the ground, but they had six plus, six plays of 20 or more yards on offense. And one thing you have to say, even when this offense has struggled, they have manufactured explosives. Maybe we're going to see even more of those. Um, so very encouraging, of course. Um, so some snap count stuff, some player usage stuff I found interesting. So one slight change in player usage is Calvin Austin cut into Allen Robinson's 11 personnel playing time slightly. Austin played 15 snaps and 11 personnel this week compared to Robinson's 37. Last week, it was 8 to 42. And I know those aren't seismic changes, but I do think they're drifting towards Less Allen Robinson, and a lot of that has to do with Fryermuth. And we're going to talk about 13 personnel with three tight ends on the field. We saw a nice portion of that. Maybe you get the Allen Robinson blocking stuff there, which he's done really well. But as I've said many times, he offers so little as a receiver at this point. So there's that, which isn't great. So speaking of snaps, the Steelers snapped the ball 71 times on offense, right? So Pickens had 53, Johnson had 52. Now, remember, if you play a lot of 13, one back, three tight ends, you only have one receiver on the field. So those guys usually are 90, 100%. So they were lower because of the use of 13. Robinson still played 54 or 45, I'm sorry. Austin is up to 18, though. I mean, he's not doing a lot, but it is a little bump. And Boykin still shows up with eight. You know, he's a better blocker than Robinson. He doesn't offer much either. Frankly, he's not much different than Robinson at this point. But the tight end stuff, as I mentioned, we had Fryermuth play 42, Washington play 37, Hayward played 24, and Williams was even out there for four. So, again, if you're going to have th- 13 personnel out there, it was almost always Muth, Washington, Hayward. But you mixed in Williams. He was active on this day. Rarely do they have four tight ends active. Williams does play teams, as does Hayward. So I like that situation. My article this week might be based around Fryermuth and the tight end usage in general. Still thinking about that. Um, in terms of snaps for the running backs, Harris outsnapped Warren 38 to 34. I wrote this week that I think Warren is the better player, not even the slightest knock on Najee. But Najee was a better player in this game. He was the hot hand. He was the physical pounder. He was tremendous in this game. So even routes run, Harris was slightly above Warren, 15 to 14. And then routes run run amongst the tight ends I found interesting too. Fryermuth was a 25. It's a big number for a tight end in this situation. Washington at 13. Hayward at 8. So Washington going out 13 times is... One of those subtle things where it just shows, I think they like this guy more and more, you know? So, not uncommon for young players. Um, I'll be back in a minute. I want to talk Fryermuth. I want to talk some Najee stuff, all sorts of stuff here. So just to reiterate how much of the game plan Friar Muth was, last week he was getting 
77.7% of the targets. Very low number. This week, he was at 44% of the targets went to Fryermuth. Obviously, by design, obviously, that's a Canada coaching situation. And he averaged 4.8 yards every time he ran a route. Not every time they threw him the ball. Every time he left the line of scrimmage, he was at 4.8. And I've told you guys, if you're over two as a wide receiver, that's amazing. So, phenomenal game by him. Phenomenal. And well done by the coaching staff, Pickett, everybody, to make that all happen. So, but coming into that game, the Steelers' entire tight end room had 30 receptions, 48 targets, 228 yards for the whole season. Yesterday, he they got 14 targets, the whole room, completed 12 of them, 141 yards, just on just to the tight ends. More than half of Pickett's passing totals, which was a big number this week, went to tight ends. You know, obviously that's a big deal. We'll see if that keeps up or is that a Bengal-related thing. Very well could be because the Bengals are awful against tight ends. Bengal note. I told you before, they live in 11 personnel, three receivers on the field. But they changed things up. For this matchup with a different quarterback and against Steeler pass rush, they played 12 with double tight ends, 23% of their offensive snaps after using it 10% total going into this game. Is that something the Steelers are going to see more of? Maybe. Who knows? And when, this, and when the Bengals were in 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, Tyler Boyd never was on the field for them. So he wasn't even considered really their number two receiver. Mentioned Najee was basically the, the hot hand here. He played great. And... Dale also threw this nugget out that, that the Steelers ended up at 4.6 yards per carry. Great. You'll take that all day long. But if you pull out the three kneel downs from Pickett at the end, which they shouldn't even count on your rushing total, they would have been well over five yards per carry. So when you didn't concede yourself and kneel for zero yards, they would have ended the day well over five yards per carry. You guys know I'm a big EPA nerd. And the Monday Nighter hasn't happened yet. But of all quarterbacks that played in week 12, Pickett was seventh among total EPA. I mean, we're talking Josh Allen and Mahomes and Hurts and all those guys. He was seventh best. And how about this? Not even amongst tight ends, but of all pass catchers. Tyreek Hill, you know, Fryermuth was number one. Number one in total EPA. How much expected points added, you know, what he added to his football team to make them score points. He was number one amongst all pass catchers this week. Talked about Chase versus Porter a little bit yesterday, and I didn't do the numbers, so I just caught this part that he ended up with 81 yards, but 31 of those were off those two tip passes, which I don't blame coverage for. But I do give him credit for it. I mean, they were very, very good football plays, and he's a phenomenal player. But I just want to throw that out there. I mean, 31 of his 81 yards were off those two tip balls. Now, my good buddy, Mike Sando, works for The Athletic, and he was talking about, you know, the 58-game the, the stretch when they didn't produce 400 yards. Okay, we all have heard about this stretch. Yeah, it's terrible. It's the candidate era obviously. But you know what? <laughs> this blew me away. So 
during those 58 games when they did not produce 400 yards, they won 60% of their games. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good strategy to produce 120 yards passing and 80 yards rushing and not get to 400, but tip the cap. You know, I mean, during the Canada era, the offense was 25th in EPA during that whole stretch. And 23rd during that 58-game stretch without a 400-yard game. But they were fifth on defense in that streak. So, again, you win 60% of your games without putting a 400 yards in 58 straight games is a testament to the organization. Um, This game, again, produced eight explosive plays. That would have been second most in the whole Canada era. So his whole tenure versus this game, this game would have been second most in explosive plays in that whole time frame. So EPA is kind of hard to explain, but again, it's expected points added. So like one bad play can really hurt you. And just to kind of explain it a little bit better, a massive 6.5 point swing, like we're talking about Jalen Warren's lost fumble. Basically cost the Steelers 6.5 points on the scoreboard. So I'll just read this off. A massive 6.5 point EPA swing associated with running back Jalen Warren's lost fumble deep in Bengals territory, that it matters a lot, on Pittsburgh's opening drive made this a break-even offensive EPA game. That play was so bad that all the good that happened meant today was an average EPA game. So just to put some context here, but they were plus 8.7 on defense. They were also minus 2.7 on special teams. That all adds up to a plus 6.0 net, which mirrors the game score differential. I mean, so yeah, they were the much better team. But a play here and there and a little bit of special team stuff made this thing closer than it was. And it was just a different way of looking at it from an analytical perspective. So now, really good game offensively, especially that Warren stuff aside. As you know, they were phenomenal on third downs. That's great. Now, let's focus towards taking this thing a step further and get great in the red zone. You know, I mean, get great when the field is tight. They were better, way better, throwing the ball in the middle of the field. They were really good on third downs. Pivotal, hard things to do. But now, let's get that red zone offense cranked. So, there you have it. That's what I got for today. Just a whole bunch of stuff. All right, take care. Over and out. Overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to $200 in fee-free overdraft with a Chime checking account. Sign up today at Chime.com slash Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.